Elijah was always, he wasn't just saying, do this. He was saying, let me show you how to do this. I'm not going to talk to you about the power of God. I'm going to show you the power of God. And, um, and then you'll, you'll know. I, I've just found that great leadership is caught more than is taught. Just show them what it looks like to be a great leader. We're continuing in a message from Richard Blackaby as he shares from his own life and experience about the need to pour into the next generation to show them how to be disciple makers for Jesus. I'm Ken Powell, host of FCCI's Pathway to Purpose podcast, and this may be one of the most emotionally charged messages that I've heard Richard Blackaby deliver, due in large part that he was speaking about generational impact while his mother was in her final days back home. In fact, Richard would leave the FCCI conference just after this message was recorded to be at home with his parents. As Richard states, great leadership is caught more than it's taught. And I can speak to that from my own life, watching my father live out his faith as a contractor. I know of one man who partnered on construction projects with my dad for many years. And when he finally received Jesus as his personal savior, he stood in front of the church, acknowledged my dad and told the congregation that Jerry Powell was his pastor, not because of what my dad said, but because of how dad lived his life day after day on the job site. In addition to my own dad, I've observed co-workers throughout the years who I'd put in that same category of faithful stewardship of life and knowing that they were having a discipleship impact on those around them. Sometimes we're in a formal mentoring relationship, but sometimes God is working through us to influence others for his sake through the excellence of our testimony in life and in business. So let's get back into the story of Elijah as Richard continues. You can't give what you don't have. By the way, you know, how would you like to have Elijah come up to you and say, would you like, would you like me to share with you what I've learned about walking with God? <laughs> I'd say, yeah, tell me how you do that fire thing. Like, I, <laughs> I really like that, you know. And uh, when you parted the, the Jordan River uh, and we walked across that dry land, like, that, I would really like to know how to do that. Like, when Elijah comes, you know he's got stuff to share, right? But one of the, and by the way, that's why one of the greatest things you can do for the one you're mentoring is keep filling your cup up. You know, I know people that want to mentor, when they, when they sit down with someone to mentor, what they're doing is they're telling them stuff they did 25 years ago. Let me tell you, when I was your age, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, well, that's great. But folks, do you got anything more current than that? I want I want someone to mentor me who's got a story from this morning of their time with God, of what God taught them last week about leadership that they never knew before. Uh, don't tell me about 30 years ago when you had to forgive a business associate that did you wrong. Tell me about how you forgave someone last week and how God guided you in the midst of all that's happening right now in our world. Uh, do you have something fresh? My my dad was kind of the classic of that. He, I, I, I describe my dad's whole ministry as just ministering out of the overflow. It was just, it was always current with my dad. It was always what had just happened with my dad. I, I remember uh, years ago when it, experiencing God was fairly new out. Uh, there was a conference center that really wanted my dad to come and speak on it one week, but he was, uh, he, dad was going to be in Africa at the time. He's going to speak for two weeks in Africa. I was there with my mom. And so they asked me to fill in for my dad. So if you can imagine, that's like Elisha filling in for Elijah, you know, it's like, but, but I'm there speaking, but my parents were going to get home the day before the conference ended, 
And my mom was eager to get one of her kids, her firstborn, and so they were going to drive four hours from Atlanta to where I was, pick me up, bring me back to their house to spend a couple of days. So, so I said to, to my parents, do you think there's any way you could get here by one o'clock that day, and I'll just have dad teach the last seminar for me? And so I told everybody the first day, uh, on Friday, we may have a surprise. My dad might show up in time, and I'm, I'm going to let him speak if he gets here. Well, you know, people said, okay, we'll, we'll see you next Friday. <laughs> they weren't sure they're going to come hear me all week, but they're coming Friday. So, so it, it's looking like my parents are going to make it, but, but what I didn't realize at the time was that the, the remember the Rwandan uh, genocide that took place where there millions of people were slaughtered uh, and all kinds of violence? Well, that had just happened. And my dad had, had come in, and, and they're gonna, he's going to speak to all the missionaries. And the missionaries had just been watching bloodbaths. One missionary told my dad, they said, I, I, I was at the river, and I literally watched entire congregations floating down the river, all macheted to death. He said, I'm pointing out the deacons and the pastor and the staff, all of them dead. And one of the female missionaries had been raped by marauding uh, gorillas at the time. And there'd been a miscarriage because of all the stress. And these missionaries, there were two different meetings on different sides of Africa. And both weeks, these people just came in absolutely empty. One missionary said, I can't cry anymore. I've cried so much. I don't even have any tears anymore. I'm, my body wants to cry. I've got nothing left. I'm just empty. And people were all lining up to say, we're quitting. I, I can't do this anymore. Uh, one family had been, the people had broken into their house. They'd all been, they'd been tied up. And they, were, they thought they were going to be executed. And at the last moment, these bright lights began shining in the window. And the, 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 the gorillas thought that the police, the army had come. They all took off. And uh, they never did know where those lights came from. They, they assumed it had to have been God somehow scaring them off before they were executed. And these people were all telling their stories to my parents. And uh, when my dad got there, they said, we just, we don't want to do any business. We don't want to have, we don't have work on anything. We, Henry, just speak life into us. We have no life left. And so my dad had brought about several hours worth of sermons. The, they said, Henry, we, we've given you eight hours every day to speak to us. Eight hours. The first, the first day he'd used all of his material. So he got up at three o'clock the next morning and he said, God, these people are desperate. These people, they don't need a religious platitude. They don't need uh, some kind of cliche. They, they need a word from you. God, I don't dare get up in front of these people and pull out some dusty old sermon I used 10 years ago. They've got to have a fresh word from Almighty God. And uh, so my dad's up at like three in the morning and he's just frantically writing and searching and trying to find truths from God. What do you say to a missionary who's gone all the way to Africa only to be raped by the very people she's trying to share the gospel with? How do you comfort a missionary wife who lost her child because they were fleeing from the very people they were ministering to as they were trying to kill them? And so my dad said, God, what do I say to people like that? And uh, I'll tell you what, I've talked to missionaries who were in that meeting, and they said it was like the glory of God just fell. And they said, we all knew that we were on holy ground. And they said, we didn't want your dad to stop. At one, at one point, about the third day in, someone said, look, we have an hour set aside for recreation. Why don't we forget about recreation and give Henry a ninth hour to teach us? 
And I think my mother actually vetoed that, said eight hours is enough. You need a break. But what we didn't know is some people, they turned on a tape recorder. They started taping all that my dad was saying. And later, years later, they transcribed that. And if any of you, probably some of you have taken the, done the Experiencing God day-by-day devotional that I wrote with my dad. Um, when, when we were doing that, I got the transcript of all the things that he had said to those missionaries. And I put them into a bunch of those devotionals, taken right out of that. And that the devotional won the devotional of the year award that year. But I'll tell you what, my dad was just coming from those meetings when he came up to pick me up. And I could just always tell with my dad, because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm at the, my dad hadn't arrived yet. The people are starting to fill the room up. They're hoping, they say, has your dad made it yet? I said, well, I, I think he's close. I, I know that they should be getting here in a minute. I've got a little song and dance I can do until he gets here, if you like. And, and then, uh, then sure enough, I saw my parents come in. I said, dad, you've got the next hour and a half. Just, I'm going to sit down, just tell them what God's been saying to you. And I, I could always tell. I could just look at my dad's face. And I knew that God had just been filling his cup to overflowing. And whenever there was a crisis, whenever there was a, a tragedy going on in the world, my dad would, he, he would have the news on and he'd have his Bible in his hand. He'd be just saying, God, help me to understand what's going on. Give me a word for your people. And I'll tell you, all, all I can just tell you is my dad began speaking the next hour and a half. He had no notes, just had his Bible. And he said, let me tell you what God has been showing me the last two weeks. And I'll tell you what, I, I just wish I could beam every one of you into that room. Because you knew, you just want to take your shoes off. Because you just knew that this was not just advice, the same advice he gave everybody. This was fresh, hot off the press from God to my dad. Now you're, we're getting it first. And I'll tell you what, it just blew everybody away. You, you didn't want the time to end. You, an hour and a half went by just like that. But what you realized was my dad had a lot to give. Folks, if you want to be a blessing to the people you mentor, you can't give what you don't have. So make sure you've got lots to give. And, and keep it fresh. Keep it personal. Keep it God-centered. And then third, just, just provide examples. Uh, you know, Elijah, if you, if you watch what happens in Second in Kings, when Elisha is now following Elijah, uh, the king sends three uh, cohorts of 50 soldiers to arrest Elijah, and Elijah, on the first two, calls fire down, obliterates them. And the third commander comes up and falls on the ground and begs Elijah not to kill all of them too. And, uh, and then Elijah comes along, and they, they come to the Jordan River, and, and, uh, and he, he takes his mantle, and he, he strikes the water. The water is part. It goes across. So when Elijah turned around and said to Elisha, uh, uh, hey, let me tell you how things work, you, you knew to pay attention. Because Elijah was always giving examples. Elijah was always, he wasn't just saying, do this. He was saying, let me show you how to do this. I'm not going to talk to you about the power of God. I'm going to show you the power of God. And, um, and then you'll, you'll know. I, I've just found that great leadership is caught more than it's taught. Just show them what it looks like to be a great leader. Don't keep telling them. Show them how it looks to be a person of integrity, to be a person of faith, a person of of, of a robust work ethic. Uh, don't just tell them that's what you want them to do. Go, go first. I, my, my son Mike will be here uh, coming in tonight. Um, 
years ago, our ministry was doing leadership conferences all over the country, and uh, my dad would be there, I'd be there, my, my brother, Rick Fisher, was speaking, and, uh, and we'd usually bring one of my kids along. They, they, they didn't always do a plenary session, but they'd do a seminar for how to reach young people, how to understand their culture, and so on. So this, this time, it was my son, Mike. And so my, I, I want to show Mike you know, how to conduct yourself when you're in a conference and how to talk to others, how to, how to prepare your message, how to be relevant. And so I, I'm, I'm showing him how to do that. And then at the end, I, the last message was, I, I was a preaching on joy, how to lead and yet don't lose your joy. Get into fixed problems, address ugly, messy issues, but hold on to your joy. And at the end, we had an altar call and the whole front is just filled with people just just returning to the Lord. And it's just this glorious time. And I'm so happy that my son is there to watch that. And I'm hoping he's just soaking it up and the next generation, just seeing how Blackaby's minister. And so then we're going to go for dinner. And uh, I can't remember if Rick is driving, but we had a big, uh, really big van for our team. We're all going to go to some restaurant. And I decide, I, I'm sort of inspired. Uh, I mean, I, I'm 6'2". I, I was the tallest guy on our team. And so normally I'd sat up at the front but I thought, you know what? One more opportunity to demonstrate to my son's servanthood. It's, you know, I need to take a turn at the very back of the van, just like everybody else. So I've just preached this glorious sermon. The altar has just been filled. What a great time to show him that I can go to the back like everybody else. So I, I, I'm climbed all the way to the, like the fourth row back. And we had to turn the seat down to get back there. I get back there. I'm, I'm trying to pull the seat back up so someone can sit in that row, but it's locked. And I don't, I can't figure out what, what do you, what do you, you got to pull on something. So the seat back comes up. So I'm digging around trying to figure it out. Well, Mike comes up to help me. And just as Mike figures out how to do this, I have inadvertently put my hand right between two major metal parts. And Mike gets it loose and then heaves it back. <laughs> And it just crushes about two of my fingers. I mean, there's blood just pouring out. And just, I mean, just excruciating. He, he, it is closed right to the bone. And, uh, and, and I can just tell I'm not feeling joy at that moment. And I'm thinking to myself, but you know, my son has just watched me talk about what, ministering in the Spirit. My last sermon was about, don't let things take your joy away. <laughs> and, uh, and he was about to see me lose my joy right there. And... Uh, can I just tell you, you can sit down and mentor young people for hours on end, and then one careless moment, one unguarded moment, and you've just negated every mentoring session that you had with them. And I've just found that the best mentoring is going to ultimately come when you live your life out, pain and all, in front of young people, and you show them how you face the difficult times how you keep your joy when your fingers are crushed. And I'll, by the grace of God, I didn't say anything I had to retract later. <laughs> I just said, open the, open the seat, open the seat. And he's like, I can't get this thing to lock in. I keep pushing on it. It's like I'm about to pass out from loss of blood. But, I, but I'll tell you something. After I, I, I could have talked to my son about self-control and everything else. And I, I don't say this to brag about myself. I just I feel like God was just saying to me, your son can listen to you preach on the platform all day long, but you hurt yourself getting in the car later, and you, all those sermons are for naught if you can't live and suffer in front of them. By the way, through COVID, we all had a chance to endure pain in front of others, didn't we? We all had to suffer in various ways, and our, 
our, the younger generation watched us dealing with adversity like we'd never dealt with before. They watched whether we were anxious and worried and troubled or whether we still had the joy of the Lord. We still had the peace of God or we were just as anxious as our atheist competitors down the street. Did Christ make any difference in our life or not? Uh, and I'll tell you what, sometimes the greatest lessons you will teach those you're mentoring is how you deal with adversity. And they watch you in real time as a Christian trying to deal with it. And they see how real leaders, spiritual leaders, deal with the hard moments that are going to come in all of our lives. And then finally, let me just mention and finish well. Finish well. Now, Elijah finishes in a whirlwind of fire being swept up into heaven. <laughs> he, he finishes well. Now, a, a couple of chapters back, he was suicidal wanting to, to quit. I'm, I'm so glad he didn't end there. Now, we, you may have those moments, but don't end there. If you ever find yourself in those hopeless places, say, God, don't let this be the end of my story. God, come and help me get out of this dark place. I want to finish well. And I don't have to tell you of the examples of people that, uh, that, that, that had years of success, years of speaking on the platform, years of writing books, and then they didn't finish well. And it, I, just, I just grieve every time I see that. I've got lots of friends who have not ended well, people that I know that breaks my heart because I know how awful it must be for them to have just tarnished a great reputation. So many people that respected them and looked to them as a mentor. And then now they're confused. Can I believe anything that person said? Were they lying to me the whole time? Or was there truth in what they were saying? I'll tell you what, the, the greatest gift you can give those you mentor is still be racing all out when you get to the finish line. Still be going hard holding on to the joy that God gave you. I, I tell you, with my mother and father, uh, you know, watching them now, these two giants of faith, but now they're at the end. And uh, I was, uh, the other day, about two weeks ago, my mom was still at home, and uh, she was sitting in her chair, not able to do a lot. And, um, and, I, and I, I brought my daughter over with me, and I said, uh, I, we're, we're over there ministering to my mother, and her feet were hurting her. She, we found out later she had blood clots, but her feet were hurting. And my mother, for years, she was always into some, I don't know, she'd find, she, she wasn't really on the internet a lot, but she always found out some, some new, wonderful, cure-all kind of a, a lotion or drink or oil or something, that she, and, and she would just have it in her purse, and she'd want to rub it all over you every time she saw you. You're like, Mom, please, don't. Like, I'm about to get up and speak. But this will make you feel a lot better, you know. And, and she, for quite a while, she had this foot lotion that she said, you know, your feet, stuff absorbs in there, goes to your whole body. And, and so she was always, every time, I, like, I'd, be, I'd, I'd meet up with my parents somewhere where I was, we were both going to speak, and my mom would say, you know, take your, shoe, no, take your shoes off. Let me, let me rub this on your feet. And like, I, like, I'm just, just like, Mom, don't do that to me. Like, that just feels awkward. My mother, like, rubbing my feet. You shouldn't do that. Uh, you know, but, but, like, she would insist. And so she did that for years. All of, her, all of her kids, all of her grandkids have all had her rub their feet. And so, so, I, um, so she starts to complain about her feet, and I just had this thought. I said, hey, 
Where's that foot stuff that you're always putting on us? That would be perfect. I said, listen, it's time for me to do that for you. I said, I would be happy to rub your feet, Mom. That's something I could do for you. Where is it? I'm going to find it. And I come back. I'm all set. This will be great. I can just show my mom one more time how much I love her. And my daughter, Carrie, says, no, Dad, 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 let me do that. I'm like, I'm going to rub someone's feet. Like, are you sure? She said, Dad, please, let me do that. My daughter was just desperate to find some way to show my mother how much she loved her. She said, that's perfect. Let, let me be the one who does that. And uh, so that's the picture I took of my, my mother's oldest granddaughter, just, just spending a special time ministering to her grandmother. Last time she'd have a chance to do something quite like that. And I thought to myself, you know what? That's, how you, that's a mark of someone who finishes well. When your grandkids are fighting over who gets to rub your feet because they can't thank you enough for what you invested in their life. You know, my, my parents have 14 grandkids, and when the word came out that my mom was dying, all 14, but Mike is the last one. You can pray for him. The, the, we, before we knew that how serious my, my mother was, the plan was for Mike, well, when he was coming here to speak, when we found out my mom was had liver cancer, Rick changed his flight schedule so he could come from here to Atlanta and see his grandmother. I don't know that she'll still be alive on Wednesday. We're trying to get Mike back. He's the, the only one of 14 grandkids who's not yet seen my mom. And I, I, it just blew me away. Kids were leaving medical school and driving from Texas just to see grandma one last time. Every one of her grandkids, all the ones who live in Canada, all of them, every one of them made it down to tell her how much they appreciate her. And I thought to myself, that's finishing well. You know, the interesting thing, by the way, when they, both parents got kind of weak, we, we hired a nurse to come in and, and care for them. They're in a, a, a home that gets a lot of care, but we just want to have extra care for them. So we, we, we hired this nurse. And uh, she's, she's really good. She comes in in the mornings and would kind of help get them ready. And at night, kind of come in and help personally make sure they're all cleaned up, ready for bed, and dressed right. And, and she seemed like a real nice woman. Uh, we found out, now, you know, my parents, my dad's never going to preach another sermon. He's never going to write another book. He can't, he, he, he doesn't communicate all that well anymore. Um, but you know what? My, my brother-in-law one day was in there when that nurse was there. And this nurse is just so impressed by my parents. She keeps saying, these people are such people of God. She said, I've never, I've never met. And I, I, I remember saying to her one day, I said, well, you know, if you had known them in their prime, I said, now you're cleaning up after them and brushing their teeth for them. And I said, but if you'd known them years ago, I said, you'd know what amazing people these are that you're caring for right now. And she said, oh, I can tell. She said, I can tell even now that these are awesome people of God. I said, well, they are. You could ask anyone who knows them. I said, I'm just sorry that you, you kind of didn't get to know them until the very end of their lives. And you know what happened about a week ago? My brother-in-law was over there got into a spiritual conversation with her, found out she wasn't a believer, and led her to Christ there in the room with my parents. And I thought to myself, even when my parents can't go out and tell people about Jesus anymore, God's still bringing the people into their, 
assisted living community and letting him find Christ even there. And you know what? Yesterday morning, that nurse showed up at our church for the very first time and uh, texted us and said, hey, I'm at your church, and it's awesome. She got to see my two grandsons baptized yesterday. And I thought to myself, my parents may never be able to travel again, but God, they're still being used by God to bring people into the kingdom of God. And I just had to pray and say, God, I pray as my grandkids watch me, as the younger generation watches me. I hope they never see me slowing down, never growing weary, never becoming cynical, never saying, I've done my part, let the younger generation do it next. May they still see me just trying to do one more thing for God while there's time to do it. Just blessing one more person, speaking life into one more person before my time is done. And I pray that you will do the same. I'll tell you what, there's no greater privilege you could have than to invest in the next generation. You might want to bring fire down. You might, you might want to raise the dead. But I'll tell you, nothing beats speaking into the next generation and blessing them and launching your own Elishas into a world that desperately needs a touch of God. If you're interested in learning more about mentoring programs that are tailored to the business context, please reach out to us here at FCCI. You can always learn more about FCCI events, business leadership groups, training resources, and more at FCCI.org. Thanks for listening, and may God empower your journey as you lead a company for Christ.